This is part two on our topic of how to be awesome at lots of little things. We covered so many topics in part one, but we have so many more to get into today. We're talking about keeping your house clean and organized, design tips and organizing tips, lots of kids and parenting talk, plus some of my favorites, sunless tanning and health and fitness, more on relationships and marriage and dating. On our journey to be our most awesome selves, there are just so many topics to talk about. I'm excited for these episodes where we can talk about a whole bunch of different things, and that's exactly what we're doing today. Let's go. You're listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast, where we're obsessed with life hacks that make your life more awesome. Your host, Lindsay Dickhout, is an entrepreneur and business owner, a mom and wife, and someone who wants to do things over the top at all times. This concept started as a collection of things Lindsay has learned that she was documenting to give to her kids one day, and now it's a podcast. Join us on this journey where we talk about how to be awesome at everything we do. Here's Lindsay. So here's the thing. This whole podcast is all about trying to be awesome at everything we do and be our most happy and positive and productive selves. Now, I am very self-actualized and I hope this podcast never comes through as egotistical or like I've mastered everything because if you've listened to all these episodes, I hope you realize that I am very transparent about many wins and many fails and even big fails to always be learning. And I love these Q&A podcasts just because we're able to get into so many little topics and talk about lots of different things that people send in questions about all the time that I'm like, yes, I want to talk about that or yes, but doing two a week, I just can't get to all the topics fast enough to keep up with, to keep up with the questions. And there's so many great questions that come in and so many different things that people are curious about and struggling with. And again, I in no way have mastered everything, but I'm constantly trying to learn and I'm constantly listening to podcasts and audiobooks and watching documentaries and specials and um, reading books and studying different topics and talking to people and experts. And I'm always just trying to learn and I'm trying to share my experiences like we all have to try to be more awesome at so many of these different things. So I come to you, you know, kind of like, an expert at nothing, but trying really hard to be an expert at all of it. And uh, let's see where we go. So let's first talk about home and home decor and design tips. So this is one that we've just recently been through a whole renovation of our home over the last couple years. We've done it in chunks, but we stayed living in the house the whole time, which I definitely wouldn't recommend because it is painful. I did, I mean, listen, I am so grateful and just, I mean, so grateful to be able to even improve the home. So I I definitely don't want to say I'm ungrateful, but living through it is no fun. I mean, coming home and not being able to get up the stairs unexpectedly or having so much dust and people in the house um, was really a challenge, especially having a newborn at at home. It was definitely, um, it was definitely challenging and tested my patience at so many times. But I think that what I would do is I would really prioritize what you want to do if you are going to do a home renovation and live in the house and just do sections at a time. And even though it really drags it out, 
that way you might be, you know, not don't have a kitchen at one point, but the rest of the house is fully functioning. Like for me, I think that, like I said, even though it takes so much longer, I would definitely do it in chunks. So one chunk and it's kind of like sectioned off and then it just doesn't, it doesn't disrupt the whole home. I just felt like we were living in construction for so long. It was painful, but the, the outcome is worth it. And especially if you're in a home that you want to live in for a long time, like if it were up to my husband, we probably would move every few years, but I love our home. I love the memories. Um, I'm just not like a grass is always greener type person. Like, um, not like, okay, let's upgrade now. Like, what about this or this neighborhood? Like for me, I'm, I just, I, I'm happy no matter, you know, how much growth we have or how much money we make. Like, I'm just happy where we live. So I'd rather put the money into the house that we have now for decor and design tips. I really, um, found one, I really love restoration hardware modern. And I kind of set that up as like getting a lot of our basic things, because for me, it was overwhelming to look at a whole bunch of different places and try to see what's going to go together. So I love restoration hardware, but even more so restoration hardware modern. And we got so many things from there. And then I felt like it wasn't as overwhelming and I could pick different accessories and different things. But you know, that being said, we're still not finished. And um, I just want to be done. Like I just want to, you know, really put all the trays in every room and the picture frames. So things are really nice and nice and fully designed and everything feels complete after going through all this renovation to be like 90% of the way feels like so unfinished. So I'm going to finish up the rest of the house soon. And then I'm going to take pictures and kind of do a little video and just show you what I've learned and um, like the different spaces that we created in the house that are the most special to me and how you can recreate them. And I did so many different things. Like some things are nicer and more um, custom and we picked the different fabrics and everything. And then other things are really inexpensive. Like I have two stools at the end of the girls' beds. And everything I everything I was finding because I wanted clear lucite legs was like, I don't know, $500, $1,000 per stool. And I was like, this is crazy. So I bought one on Amazon that I think the stool was like $60 or $80. And I only knew because I got it for one of the girls' parties. It had red velvet on the top of it. And then um, I had a local upholster place um, just put a new fabric on it. It looks like kind of a Chanel tweed fabric and they're gorgeous and they were such, you know, a little bit more work for sure, but they're perfectly custom and he just covered these awesome Amazon stools and they're like one of my favorite things. So I'm going to do more content on different hacks like that and how you can get an expensive look, but um, on the affordable, but that's my favorite tip is really buying something and then have it reupholstered. Find your fabric and it'll look so nice and so high-end. And it's cool because it's completely yours. Another question about the home is keeping your closet organized. This is such a great question and I've spent so much time purging my closet. And the way I found to keep it up is I always hang things, but I don't put them away in a hurry. So I hang everything as I'm done with it whenever I have time. So if I'm changing a bunch of outfits as we do and I throw them all on my bench, then I'll hang them all. And even if I don't have the time or kind of the patience energy to put them where they go, I have like one spot where I hang things that's like my to be filed section. So this is how I've been able to keep my closet organized. So that way a big pile doesn't like pile up. I kind of separate it into two different things. One step is hanging all the things and I put it in my to be filed. And then when I'm ready to put everything like nicely where it goes, I do that. 
I've just found that that helps me keep up with it. So it doesn't get this like huge growing mound and before you know it, you have this massive pile of clothes. It seems really easy. So maybe when I'm chatting on the phone or listening to a podcast, I'll hang them all real quick and I kind of have to be in the right mood to really put everything like exactly where it goes. So I just do it in two different steps and then my closet's always organized. How to be awesome at moving or packing. Oh my gosh. My best tip on this is purge first. Purge before you pack up to move. You will be so glad you did just because you won't be taking a whole bunch of stuff. How to be awesome at moving or packing. This is such a great question. I'll do moving first. Purge first. Really take the time ahead of time and get rid of everything that you don't actually want in your new house. This is the best tip and one that I learned the hard way because otherwise you're you're moving so much extra stuff and then it's hard enough to put everything away, but let alone if you're doing the purge in the new place and you've brought old stuff in, purge first, do a really good purge. If you don't love it and you're not going to miss it, get rid of it. A lot of times I've really learned that it's so much, I was kind of like afraid of purging things like, oh, I don't want to spend money on a new one. But a lot of times buying a new one isn't as expensive as you think. And it's newer, you like it better, it's better quality, it lasts longer, and it just feels better. I'd rather just have less and have nicer things and kind of newer things sometimes. So for moving, absolutely purge before you move. For packing, the number one rule is do not pack the night before a trip. Pack a couple days before the trip. I mean, if you could do it, if, especially if it's a bigger trip, pack a week before. So that way you can make a list, anything that you need to pick up or buy. So whether it's an epic outfit for like a night out on your trip, or even if it's just travel shampoo and conditioner, you can save yourself so much time by ordering those things online instead of doing that last minute dash. You know that dash, the dash to the mall, the dash to Target, and the night before you travel is super hectic and panicked because you're trying to get all these things done. So make yourself pretend that you're actually leaving a couple days before you are and do not pack the night before because you'll either forget things or you'll overpack and both are awful. Mostly I tend to overpack. You had all like, let's just throw in jeans. Let's just this by packing ahead of time. I pack exactly what I need for all the days and then I'll just put in an extra of everything. So that way I'm not, for some reason, if something doesn't sound good or I need an extra outfit or you end up staying a day longer, who knows? So I'll pack a bathing suit for every day and and a cover-up, and then I'll pack one extra bathing suit and cover-up in case I don't feel like one of the options. Same thing for like your evening outfits or your flying outfit. Just put it together exactly what you need. I use the packing cubes with a nice little zipper, and I put everything together. I put the accessories, the earrings, the undies. So like if you're wearing white jeans and you want white undies and a light bra with a t-shirt, whatever it is, I try to pack them all in packing cubes. And if it's stuff that's versatile, maybe you're bringing one jean jacket, then I'll just put that in, not in a packing cube. But I really plan out every outfit and then I zip it up and I do the same thing for the kids. So that way all their outfits are in packing cubes. They can pick which one they want, open it up and they just put on everything, especially as your kids get older. It's so helpful and saves you so much time on vacation. If you're not digging through the, the, the bag to find all the things and you've overpacked, there's just so much stuff to get through. They just unzip their cube and put on their stuff and off they go. But I really think it makes you feel so much better if you pack one extra for every type of outfit, you know, like a lounge outfit, um, pajamas, a bathing suit kind of thing. Like, so don't underpack because I feel like that can be stressing. Um, Pack just enough and then one more of each thing. And I feel like 
you'll feel like it's the most efficient and you'll be happier and you'll get a good night's sleep before you travel. Next question, how do you keep your house clean all the time? Well, listen, my house is definitely not clean all the time, but I really like it to be. And full transparency, because you know I'm all about that, I have a house helper. She's like a housekeeper, but she's more of a house helper. Like she's become part of our family. Her name's Remedios. The kids call her Miss Remedios. And she has been with us since since right when Presley was born. So Presley is eight and a half. So she has been with us eight and a half years. And she comes Monday through Friday depending on um, depending on kind of the time of year or what we need. It's around like 10 to 3 every day. So I'm very grateful that I have helping hands. So usually she's just helping me keep the house going. So the dishes and the laundry and picking up the house and, you know, the bathrooms and the mopping and, you know, the wood floors and all the things. And then also she's here if I if Parker's napping and I need to run to pick up the girls from school or different things like that. Uh, I don't have any, I don't have a nanny or any specific help with the kids, but she's, like I said, she's become part of the family so she can help me with the kids if I need it, which is a huge help. And then like we all do, I feel like I'm always picking up the house, but I just feel so much better when I do, especially like Saturday morning, Sunday morning, I do my workout, I get ready. And then before we go anywhere, I just do a whole swoop through the house. I make sure the kids make their beds and I just pick up everything. You know how things go. There's towels on the floor, there's toys around. I just feel so much better if things are picked up. And I feel like that's the best tip is organize things well and then label them so that everyone knows where everything goes and then try to keep it up. For me, it's once my organization kind of goes to hell, then that's when I'm like, oh my God, I gotta, I have to redo it all over again. So I try to organize really well, label things, purge stuff so there's not just too much stuff, but everything has its place and then keep it up. Next question, keeping the house tidy with the kiddos home 24-7. It feels like I'm always cleaning. Yes, if you are listening to this right now in real time during COVID with kids home all the time, I'm always cleaning too. It's just the craziest thing. I mean, a lot of times I will just get them outside for half a day, especially if we've gotten the house. If Remedios and I have gotten the house like nice and clean, I'm like, okay, we're swimming for the second half of the day or we're going out, we're going to the park, we're going for bike rides just to get them out because of course the fresh air is good and getting outside is so good for all of us. But also then they can't keep tearing down the house. It really can feel like Groundhog Day if you clean one area while they're destroying another area, especially if your kids are little or Oh my gosh, not stereotyping, but boys. I had no idea till I had a little boy how much, I mean, he can like pull the whole couch apart and stack things on top of each other in like three minutes. I'm like what the heck? How did that even happen? So I know I'm doing the same thing, especially with your kids being home all the time. But I think, you know, my best thing is, is give them certain reasonable things that they have to keep up on, like putting their toothbrush away and making their bed, putting their clothes in the hamper. So that actually helps. And then once the house is clean, get them outside for a little bit so you don't feel like you're just following following them around cleaning up their messes. On to kids. Kids sleep. How did you sleep train? I feel like sleeping is one of the most important things that we can teach our kids. And I always knew going into it, I wanted to help them be good sleepers, that they didn't have to fall asleep with me laying with them and they didn't have to fall asleep to TV. So... I did just that. I am always um, patient and I'll rub their back and I will, you know, help them wind down. 
but I really don't lay with them intentionally, even though it's so nice. Sometimes I'll lay with them while we're winding down, but I don't lay with them to fall asleep. And I know so many of my friends do, and it's hard because, you know, part of them loves it, but it's also, it just takes up so much time. And they also want their kids to be independent and be able to fall asleep on their own. And it's not realistic that every night you lay there for 40 minutes until they fall asleep. So I really, with my little ones, I did the first kind of three months, I feel like it's no rules. And then after when they're three months old, then I really started getting them on a routine. And there are so many great baby books about kind of the routine, the eat, sleep, play routine. And I followed those routines and I'll link the book that I use. And I'm doing a new kind of baby essentials list. So I'll make sure that I list it there too. Um, But for sleep training, I really think as painful as it is, you have to let them cry it out a little bit and just keep them on a really good schedule and take notes. This could really be a whole podcast on its own. And oh, before I forget, if any of these topics that we talk about today feel like it needs to be expanded on way more, send me a message and let me know and I'll do a whole podcast on it. But I think with sleep training, you know, there's so many books and there's so much you can learn on it. For me, I really had to stick with the rules. You have to let them cry it out sometimes, make sure they're not hungry or don't have a wet diaper or anything like that. But then you have to really um, let them let them try to be independent and let them kind of figure it out. I really try to keep them on a good schedule. And listen, life happens and Sometimes we'll go out to dinner or we'll have, you know, some sort of family thing going on and then they'll go to bed later. But on the regular, we have um, a good bedtime so that way they're getting enough sleep. They're not overtired or sleep deprived. And um, that has really, really helped us just to make sure they're, they're getting enough sleep each night. Next question, how to be awesome at raising best friend siblings. Your girls seem like such pals. That's a tricky one. And one that is one of the most important things to me is we always uh, talk about being kind to others and our friends, but the girls always know family first. And it's not, it's not always easy. It's sometimes a challenge because they share friends. They're only a year apart, a little over a year, and they're a grade apart. So sometimes their friends can overlap and it can be challenging. But overall, they get along great. They share a room. Presley had her own room until Parker came along. And then now they share a room and their beds are right next to each other forever. They shared a bed. And then just about a year ago, um, I had, um, I had them move to separate beds just so they could have their own independence as they kind of grow up. But really I always try to instill kindness and patience And I try to always give them fun ideas of things to do together. And not like I'm always giving them activities or toys, but just try to like play together and get along well. When they have a disagreement, rather than telling them what to do, I try to be like, super as calm as possible and had, and ask them questions. Well, how did you feel when this happened? Or how would you solve this? Or how could we make this better next time? Or how could we have solved this better? Like I try to put it on them. So rather than just telling them what to do, I'm asking them questions so that they can kind of figure out how, how to do it and how to, how to strengthen their relationship. And my sister and I are so close and I was so, so glad when I, when my second baby was a girl, because my sister is just like such a great friend and so incredible to me 
that I was like, yay, they have that same gift and they're even closer together. My sister and I are four years apart. And like I said, they're just a little over a year apart. So um, yeah, I mean, really just always um, having them do lots of things together and um, having a fun environment. And when they start to kind of pick at each other, I try to change it up rather than have them, you know, cause it's hard. It's hard to be with someone, especially sharing a room, having the same roommate and the same things to do all the time. So when I can see them that they've had a little bit too much time together, maybe I will, um, do something special with one and then something special with the other, or I'll change it up and I'll say, okay, we're going to paint big canvases in the backyard just so we're doing new things. And I always try to be understanding, you know, when you hear yelling down the hall and you just want to be like, go down and be like, stop it. Like enough. I really, even though that's my instinct, I really try to go in and be like, um, you know, just super calm and kind of be understanding that it's not always easy to figure out how to work through conflict, especially if you have the same roommate and the same, you know, person around you all the time. It's easy to get frustrated sometimes. So I really try to be patient, help them with whatever they need. So maybe if it's get outside or if it's change it up or if they need a real sit down, like if someone said something mean, I explained to them, family first, you guys will always have each other. You need to be kind. And you, oh, one of the best things with kids and siblings is take a big piece of red construction paper in front of them. Don't do this like behind the scenes, do it in front of them and cut out a heart. So they have, it's kind of like the, the lead up. So they have no idea what you're doing. Cut out a huge heart, hold up the heart and say, listen, this is your sibling's heart. Like look how, you know, pretty it is. And then kind of like in an aggressive way, I crumple it up and then I, I crumple up as tiny as I can. And then I stretch it back out. And I'm like, this is what happens when you're unkind. You can never fully unwrinkle a crumpled heart. The things that you say, even if you apologize, you can't take it back. So you can apologize and that's what we need to do, but we have to be kind with our words and we have to be intentional. And it just, it really is one of those like symbolic things in our house and in our family that like you can't uncrumple a crumpled heart. Your words stick. And you can't apologize, you can apologize and you should, but you can't unsay it. So be kind and um, take a breath if you need to. I always tell my kids, take a beat. If you need to walk around the corner, go out of sight and take a beat. Don't say things you don't mean. And, um, you know, try not to crumple your sibling's heart. How to be awesome at helping your kids transition in big life changes, new school, moving. Oh, that is such a good question. I think that change is so hard for all of us, um, especially for kids. I mean, think about how, you know, a, a change for a new job or a new house is hard for you. Imagine for like a little youngster. So I try to, rather than um, telling them how to feel or trying to sugarcoat it or, you know, give them treats and candy and stuff. I think that a lot of times is our instinct, like make it, make it better, cover it up. You know, I let them feel all the feelings, like tell me how you feel and let them feel the feelings and go through the motions and talk it out. And I ask questions instead of telling them, I, you know, really try to let them go through the emotion of it. And it's good to be scared and nervous and 
uncertain or have questions or feel anxious about certain things. But rather than just saying like, no, 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 you'll be fine. You'll be fine. This is so exciting. Let's go get a cupcake and celebrate. Like there's definitely a moment for that. But I think in general, I've learned to be present with my kids, stop even if it's not the right time, which it usually is not like in the middle of dinner when things might burn and they and tell you something after school in that moment, stop what you're doing. Realize this is a big moment in their world to share this with you and hear what they're saying and let them feel the feelings. Let them feel all the feelings and let them express themselves and ask them questions and let them help solve it rather than you telling them how to feel and making it about you, like keep it about them. I've really um, had so much success by doing this. And I think that it helps them actually really work through the thing rather than just telling them like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Having a longer conversation and letting them really kind of, you know, almost, you know, I love a brain dump, almost brain dump it out. Think about all the things, talk through it, visualize what it's going to be like at that new school or at that next step. I think is just such a good way to approach it and a great way to um, allow them to really be honest with you and honest with themselves and be vulnerable. And I think that they'll just really honestly work through it so much better and, um, you know, go into the new situation feeling better. I would love to hear a podcast on how to navigate extremely picky eaters, toddlers. This is a great question. And my best tip is keep feeding them all the things. Even if you're like, there's 90% chance they're not going to eat it. One time they will, I'm telling you. So keep changing it up. I mean, for in our family, I love um, organic frozen vegetables. I feel like they're easier and yummier. Organic corn and peas and that mixture with like corn and peas and carrots Um, those work really well for us and they're easy to put in the freezer and I'll do one of those with every meal, just kind of boil it up. And so it's not a lot of money if it's wasted and it's not a lot of effort. Like it's not like you went through this, you know, crazy process to make this dish, but that's my biggest tip is keep giving them the fruits and the vegetables and keep trying it. And you know, you can eat the leftovers or other people in the house, but extremely picky eaters. I think that you have to just keep giving them options and make them try new things. And I'm all about feeding kids as healthy as possible, as healthy as they will tolerate. But for um, for really picky eaters, I would focus more on giving them variety, even if it's not the healthiest of options. First, get them eating more things before you make it extremely healthy. I think in my life with my kids and eating I have gone a little bit too extreme on the healthy eating, and so it's made them pickier in a way. So I've really learned to, listen, sometimes having them try new foods, even if it isn't exactly the healthiest of foods that I want, is better than them being so extremely picky. Like you have to give them enough options. And with really healthy foods, sometimes there aren't a ton of options. And if they don't like those options, I'd rather them, um, you know, not be extremely picky and try new things and try new foods. So I would say feed them as healthy as they can, but if they're really, really picky, just always be trying to give them new options. When you're ordering out, maybe give them a little bit of what you're eating or order them two different kids' meals, something you know they'll eat, and then maybe another one to try just to keep making them try new things. How to ease your kids off of screen and iPad time? This is a great question and definitely a struggle, especially during covid 
But for me, I do kind of the same things I sometimes do with snacks. This is your time during the day and you can use it whenever you want. I either do that or I will tell them exactly when they're when they get to do it. So no matter what, they cannot do it first thing in the morning. They have to do all their things. You have to brush your teeth, you have to get dressed, brush your hair, and make your bed. Depending on what else is happening in the day, we're not back in school yet, but sometimes then I'll say, once you've done all your steps, you can watch on your iPad until breakfast is ready. Or some days, depending on if we're home all day or what's going on, I'll say, you have one hour. And I have one of the apps on their iPad to where I can set it per day. I can set it from my phone. So where that's their limit. And after that, their iPad is locked for the day. It's difficult and... um, you know, it's really a challenge. I know some parents who don't do iPads or phones at all. For me, I think, you know, moderation for everything is key, especially during COVID. It was the only way for my kids to connect with their friends and play games together and FaceTime together. So I was much more lax. I think most of us were on the screen and iPad time, but I just try to be really aware of it. And I don't get in the trap of letting my kids do it like a ton before bed. I try to let them, you know, wind down by playing and not, I just don't like their mind going, going, going on the game and then fall asleep. I'd rather them have some downtime and, you know, kind of process the day and, um, you know, have a good, healthy bedtime routine. So I try not to do it before bed. And also I try not to let them just like end up on it. And then before you know it, they're on it for three hours before bed. Cause I've kind of learned that the hard way too. I, you know, make sure that I keep to like a reasonable bedtime and rather than just, Oh, well they're in there happy, you know, kind of stick to a bedtime, which is good. They're not on the iPad quite as much. And then they get more sleep, which is always a good thing. It's just, you know, once you're relaxing and they're relaxed, it's, it's easy to all of a sudden be like, Oh my gosh, they've been on it for three straight hours. Also, I have the blue light glasses for all the kids and whenever they're on their devices, I try to make sure they're on that and I feel like that helps a little bit. So many questions. I would love a podcast on healthy breakfast, lunch, and dinner ideas for your kids. I am going to do two totally different podcasts, one on healthy food prep for adults and another one for kids because I feel like the prepping part of it can be the hardest to figure out ahead of time and oftentimes we're in a hurry. It's difficult to figure out what to make. So I'm going to do um, lots of content on that. Let me know if there's anything specific that you want. Hi, I would love for you to do a podcast on being a room mom pre and post COVID. This is such a great question and one I'm going to address here because I don't think it's a big enough topic for a whole podcast. So I absolutely love being a room parent. I think it is one of, it's just so special. I love supporting the school and the teachers, especially when your kids are younger. I love being able to have kind of that extra time in the classroom and um, help everything get set up and, you know, just have, um, have extra time with the kids and extra time to help out. Um, for me, being a room parent is all about being as organized as possible. So you have your email list, you know what parties you have during the year, and you can start to plan. I love doing things um, by myself. Committees can be difficult because for me, I do things so efficiently that that's usually in the past years been you know the struggle. And I've always had great co-room parents and even the room parents in the other in the other classes for the grade because sometimes we you know they want us to all kind of pull together. 
They've all been great, but you know how a lot of times you can get on a group text and then the most simple thing becomes like this big old thing because there's just so many opinions and so many things going on. So for me, that had, had, that's become, that that has been in the past. The challenging part of being a room parent is sometimes being on such a big committee that things aren't always as efficient as if you did them on, their, on your own. But sometimes if you can, maybe each person just takes a part of it. That way things don't get complicated. Like you're in charge of the craft, you do the craft, however you want to do the craft, and then it can be really nice and efficient. I always keep in touch with the teacher. Send them random emails. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything that, you know, I can communicate to the parents or anything that you need support with? Um, Anything that you need volunteers with? Any supplies you need for the classroom that I could help collect? I always just try to be the teacher's right-hand person. Some teachers want, yes, like they want a lot of that. And other teachers will be like, no, we're pretty good. I think that communicating with the teacher all the time will make you a fantastic room parent, communicating with the oh, the parents and with the teachers and keeping yourself really nice and organized, knowing ahead of time, like I said, when your different events are, asking the questions at the beginning of the year. Are we doing a Valentine party? Are we doing a Halloween party? What are the things that the room parents will be in charge of? What will have volunteers? I love using Sign Up Genius for signups. So if you're signing, if you're doing classroom volunteers, or if you're doing signups for who's going to bring certain things to a potluck, I love it. I think that uh, one of the best things about being a room parent, one of the best things you can do is have a plan for taking good photos. I love taking good photos. I always use, well, sometimes I would use my phone, but I really try to use my big camera. So they're like really great, clear photos at the different big events throughout the year. And then I would ask, I would tell the parents, hey, listen, I'm doing a collection of photos. So anytime you have photos, email them my way. Or on Shutterfly, you can set up a group Shutterfly account. Now, I find that a lot of people don't remember to do this. So I would say, hey, if you volunteer in class and if you snap pictures of some of the kids, upload it to the Shutterfly, the class Shutterfly, so that we can kind of all see it. I find that a lot of people don't think to do that on the regular, but if you include it in your weekly emails or your monthly email reminders, a lot of times people will. And then a lot of the teachers take pictures throughout the year. So I tell them, hey, I want to collect the photos. And then at the end of the year, I do a class photo book. So I do it on Shutterfly. I love Shutterfly. And the cool thing is you can make the entire book, but then you just email people the link and they can adjust anything they want. So each person could, usually most people don't adjust it. They just buy it. So I'll put a class photo on the front and then I do all the pages. You can do them super detailed or you can really just kind of autofill it in chronological order and put in all the photos from the year. So all the photos you've taken, photos that you've collected from other parents or in co-room parent and then from the teachers, put them all together and it's the best gift at the end of the year that you could ever give the class because it's like their own little yearbook. So I'll build my own and I try to make it reasonable so I don't make it too huge. And I kind of try to pick because people can customize once you make the book, if they want to do paperback or if they want to do hardcover or whatever. But I try to make it a really nice, reasonable um, amount. So it's somewhere like $40. I think that that's reasonable for most people. So that way it's still like beautiful and colorful, but I'm not picking all the bells and whistles. Then there's a share link where you can share it with people and then they buy their own book. So you're only, you're, you're building the whole thing, but you're only buying yours. And then maybe as part of your end of year gift, you ask for a couple dollars from each parent and then you buy uh, one of the books for the teachers. Or maybe you just buy it as your own gift for them so that way they have a book with all the great pictures from the year. 
I think that's one of the coolest things and the best memories to really celebrate the year and celebrate the class. And even though it doesn't come until the end of the year, I think it is such a cool thing and it works for all ages, whether you're a preschool room parent or whether you're a room parent for, you know, a sixth grade class. It's having pictures from the year, I think, is just so special. And telling people ahead of time is key. So at the beginning of the year, set up the Shutterfly or tell people, hey, if it's easier, just email me pictures and I'll keep them in a folder and then um, make sure you mention to the teachers too so they know to take pictures during certain things. So sometimes they'll have cool projects in class where parents aren't invited to. So you'll rely on the teachers to take pictures of those and then you'll put it all in your book and it's great. I love going on campus. I set up um, backdrops for different things. So first day of school and last day of school, I set up a photo backdrop. So sometimes last year I did um, silver cursive balloons that said first day of school. And then last day of school was during COVID. So I had to do mine at home and I invited friends if they wanted to come over and just go, you know, uh, distance style walk walk around the side yard and take their own pictures in our um in our last day of school backdrop I wasn't able to do the, the last day but normally I would do a first day of school backdrop and a last day and I would go really early in the morning before the first day of school and set up the backdrop or even the day before is better because there's so much to manage with your own kids and then it's just out there so anyone as they're coming in parents can take pictures of their own kids with this cool backdrop throughout the whole school or you can just do it for your grade You can do a little first day of school, little bunting banner that they can hold or some sort of sign. A lot of um, a lot of schools go do the thing where you go in and take a picture of all the kids and create a class roster type thing. So if you're ever doing that, you could do it on the first day of school and have everyone hold up a sign that says first day of first grade or whatever it is. And I love like if it's second grade, second day of second grade is really cute. I also love. Um, uh, oh, I know for Valentine's day, I love different projects with a frame. So for Valentine's day, I printed out on a paper. I love you because, and I had each kid, um, hold the paper. So I just stopped by the school, asked the teacher what time would be good. Took me, you know, 15 minutes max to take pictures of all the kids holding up this sign that says, I love you because dot, dot, dot. And then I found picture frames and then I just asked the teacher, hey, can I come in ahead of time um, before Valentine's Day? So I would print the pictures, get inexpensive frames. So maybe heart-shaped frames. I've learned that I didn't, don't do wood frames where you have to paint because then that becomes like a two-day two adventure, right? So you go in once for them to paint it, then a second time for them to decorate it. So I would go in and p- pick a frame where it works, frame that I love you because um, – picture of each child, put it in the frame and then bring it to school. And the frame is such that they could then write on the frame and decorate it with pictures. So it's, I love you because, and then they fill in because you're so kind because you feed me pancakes, all the cute things that kids say. And if they're too little, that if they're, you know, in, in kindergarten or something where they wouldn't be able to write the whole thing out, the teacher can write it out and it's still just as special. But I try to do different projects like that that enhance the experience. And a lot of times the teachers are so happy to have you come in and then the kids get to take home a Valentine's gift for their parents on Valentine's Day. Um, I'll share pictures of that. I need to remember to share pictures because it's just, it's one of the sweetest crafts. And I think that um, I love doing stuff like that. And I think as a room parent, you have a little bit more flexibility to go in and pick a different craft. And even if you just do one thing like that, 
through the year. It's so special and so fun. I've done things for all different things. I've gone in for St. Patrick's Day and done a little scavenger hunt, asked the teachers if I could do leprechaun things and footprints and made that special. Or you could do something. I mean, there's so many, any holiday really you could do something for depending on depending on what they already have planned with class parties and things like that. But a million ideas of all the different ways that you can really like, you know, add to the classroom experience. And if you want to do, you know, a very extra craft like that, you can. And it's fun. Your kids really remember it. Like you being in the classroom and leading this special thing, it makes your kids, I just feel like my kids always remembered it. It was special to them and it meant a lot to me. And it's just, you know, just fun to kind of lead that kind of activity. Okay. Oh my gosh, this is a long podcast. We still have health and fitness and some more parenting and marriage stuff. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to go a little bit quicker for you here. Okay, so how to cook healthy and easy meals for your family. I feel like I need to do, I've been needing to start a YouTube channel, but I need to just do it. I need to, and just kind of show, I have figured out over the years so many really healthy, nice uh, meals that everyone loves. So I need to do more stuff like that. I tried to not use any white starches or refined sugars in any of the things I cook. So um, I stay away from white breads and white pastas and any um, sugars, but I definitely do great alternatives. So I'll use maple syrup or cook with dates or use raw cacao powder or cacao nibs. I'm always making desserts and um, recipes that, you know, kind of are little variations. And listen, don't get me wrong. My kids would rather have the right pasta, but they can have that when we're on vacation or on the weekends. If we go out to eat, they can order whatever they want. But when I'm cooking at home, I always try to make the most healthy options that everyone's still going to really like. So I'm going to do more, more on that and more on food prep. Lots of questions about supplements. I have a blog post coming with all of my favorite supplements and the supplements that I think are the most essential and all the best tips that Dr. Lekos has told me about supplements. So, I mean, listen, I'm saving you time and money here because it took me a long time to get in with Dr. Lekos and, you know, paying for the one-on-one sessions. It really adds up. And so I'm so happy to share all the things that I've learned on this epic supplement list. And this is not like a, I mean, I do think that there's a huge value to going to a functional medicine doctor and getting all the tests done so you can figure out exactly what your body needs personally. But this supplements list that I have put together are things that are great for everyone, like a great daily multivitamin and vitamin D and like a really, really good one, Um, a probiotic that's very effective and ashwagandha, all the things. So supplement list is coming soon in a blog post. One question, what to eat before and after a workout? I really believe I love a workout first thing in the morning. And I really believe that you should work out on a completely empty stomach. I think that I just think there's something to be said that if you eat something right before your workout, you first burn off what you just ate. And I feel like you'll actually have more energy on an empty stomach. So I like lots of water, but no food right before. And then I don't eat right after. I work out really early and then I take my cold shower. I like my body to kind of cool down and move around a little bit before I eat my first meal. How do you intermittent fast? That is a great question. Intermittent fasting for me makes me feel better and makes me have more energy. I do it very simply and it is not painful at all. On most days, I have my first meal at noon. 
So whether it's a smoothie or a salad or some sort of lean protein and vegetables, I have my first meal at noon. And then most days I'll have my last bite of food at like 8 or 9 p.m. So you figure I'm eating for eight hours, let's call it from 12 noon to 8 p.m. And then I'm not eating from 8 p.m. until the next day at noon. So that's a good, that's a good fast. And it doesn't even feel like a fast. Like it doesn't feel, you know, painful, like counting down the hours. My body's just kind of gotten used to it. And so often I was kind of getting like sluggish and crashing because I was snacking all day long. So, you know, naturally I just kind of snack less because I just eat my first meal at noon. And I kind of, it keeps my momentum going because I'm not stopping to prepare a meal. I really like it. And listen, on weekends, I'll eat with my kids early. I'm not like so strict about it that it affects my lifestyle. Like no one even knows that I do it just because it makes me have more energy. I like eating nice big dinners and I like having a healthy dessert after. So it feels more balanced for me to kind of eat more later on in the day. So 24 hours in a day minus eight hours. So I'm fasting for 16 hours. So it's an eight hour eat and then a 16 hour fast. And for me, it's just about, it's really about energy. It's not about weight loss. Um, I like it. Dr. Lacos does does not like an aggressive fast. Like he would say that maybe that might even be a little aggressive. Any more than that, he thinks is actually hard on the body. So it's interesting. There's, you know, you know what? I turned on a really interesting fasting, but like extreme fasting, the people who fast for five days um, thing on Netflix the other night, but I fell asleep before it, before it really got going. So I'm going to do some more research and, and kind of, but you know, again, I think that too extreme of anything is never a good thing. I really like moderation is everything. And I think that for most people, this type of a fast schedule is really good because I don't believe in being hungry. I don't believe in going to bed hungry. I don't believe in making, like if I, you know, if it's 10 o'clock and I feel like I'm out of energy and I'm starving, especially if I had a really hard workout, I'll eat. Like it's not a set rule. But just in general, I have my first meal at noon and I try to kind of have my last bite by around eight o'clock. An update on your functional medicine journey. My journey with functional medicine has been very interesting because I had um, had so much go on with it. If you haven't listened to my first podcast on functional medicine, you have to listen to it. So many tidbits. And I try to do these things right after it happens. You know when you remember the most? Like the podcast I did on... Um, having the EMF expert come in the house and, you know, tell me where there was too much Wi-Fi radiating in the house and all those things. I did the podcast right afterwards when it's all fresh in my brain, like way fresher than it would be today. So that, that functional medicine podcast is so interesting. And I think that there's so many things that everyone could apply to their own kind of medical journey. For me, it's still a work in progress. I tested uh, my SIBO levels again, Oh, I think your SIBO should, your the number should be at like 10. When I first did all my tests, my SIBO was at like 70, which was super extreme. And then I was really, um, really, really good on the SIBO diet, which is a low food map diet, a very specific diet. It cuts out lots of things. I mean, lots and lots of things. And I already kind of have a limited diet the way I like to eat. Then I retested and I was only at 50 and I thought I was like going to be almost cured. So I got a little dis- discouraged and had some kind of like um, other, you know, bloating stomach issues. So really the summary is it's a work in progress. I love having Dr. Olekos on my team though. I can email him. I mean, I'll email him bloating photos. I'll email him this or this. But overall, he's helped me figure out so much more of what my body likes and doesn't like. But I'm still figuring out what supplements work for my stomach, what hurts my stomach, um, what I need. I'm excited to do 
Another update on this, once I've really kind of figured it out, not to say that that would be the same thing for everyone, but once I feel, I still feel like I'm in the middle of it. Once I feel like I'm kind of on the other side of it, I'll definitely do an update. Basic, someone said, basically any of your health and wellness content is my favorite. That makes me so happy. I love doing stuff about health and wellness. And really that's why I started my business so many years ago is because I love sunless tanning. I love that it makes people look and feel so good. And it's kind of like, you know, with working out, you can work out for so long and barely see any changes and it's so discouraging. I love sunless tanning because you instantly look and feel so much better and your skin radiates. And it's like, yes, I have cellulite or I, you know, I'm, my hips are whiter than I want or my stomach isn't as toned, but just a tan overall makes you look so much better and your confidence is so much better. I don't know. I just love it. I love the way it evens out people's skin and makes your clothes look better. And it just makes you feel more confident. I'm all about confidence and walking into a room, not thinking like, I don't like what I'm wearing or I don't look how I like how I look. I think that we should work through all our issues. Listen, very few of us are ever going to wake up and be like, I love my body today. We're always going to find something that's, that's, you know, that has flaws and that's life. But again, that's why I love sunless tanning so much because I feel like, you know, it just, um, it just, it's a little instant boost that makes you feel good and it evens out your skin tone and makes you radiate. And I just, I love it. it. Makes you radiate from the inside and radiate from the outside and That's why I love sunless tanning. How not to crash at 2 or 3 p.m. when you wake up for a 5 a.m. workout? That is a great question. So in the first Q&A podcast, I touched on this a little bit, but I think that eating the right foods to fuel your body is very important and take breaks. So do whatever you're going to do. Take a break. Don't sit somewhere for three hours and power through something. I do something for one hour and I try to tell myself exactly what I'm going to accomplish. So maybe I'm going to set up doctors and dentist appointments for everyone in the family, or I'm going to write um, a blog post for work, whatever it is. Try to do that and then set an alarm and get up. Get up, walk around for 10 minutes, get a snack, go to the restroom, get some water, check on something, get outside, get some sunshine, whatever it is, 10 minute break, and then get get back to it. I just think that you got to keep up the momentum. And if you feel yourself dragging, get up and do something else. Also, go to bed on time. This is one of the hardest things to do, especially with all the things on our plate, but you have to get enough sleep. If you're only sleeping five hours or so, you're going to crash no matter what. So in order to get up at 5 a.m., I really have to be in bed by 9, eyes closed asleep by 10 to be on my treadmill, ready to do my five miles at, you know, 5.05 a.m. Talking about relationships, I have so many more podcasts that I want to do about marriage and friendships, and uh, this is one of the topics that I get the most questions about. People ask so many questions, how to deal with a competitive, with a competitive mind or competitive people. So here's my take on people who are competitive with you. That's their own thing. For you, what they do really doesn't affect you. And this is one of the reasons why I think we should really be careful with social media and limit our time, especially first thing in the morning is because naturally when you go on social media, It's easy to compare what other people are doing to what you're doing. And so I think it's so important to realize you're in a competition of one. 
like, you know, with friends or other people or even strangers or influencers on social media, this is not a competition. This is all about you and you being your happiest and your most fulfilled and your most your most positive, happy self and, and creating the life that you want. So when dealing with other people that are competitive, I just don't take it seriously. I don't take it seriously. I shake it off. I let that be their thing and I just don't let it in my mind. I don't, because they're competitive, it just, it doesn't make me competitive. It's just like, listen, I'm, I'm trying to charge my own thing. Um, you being competitive with me really doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't affect how I'm, how, how I am proceeding. And I just feel like that can slow you down. I never, when I do my online courses for a million dollar tan, I do an entire chapter on do not worry about your competition just because a lot of times people will share, like, like not share their secrets and not go on Instagram story because they don't want to show people their process. I'm like, share it all. You want your people to see how great your service is and how, you know, how you take all these steps to make sure all the tans are flawless. Don't hold back because you're worried about competition seeing it. You are in a competition of one. I just think charge it. Don't worry about holding anything back. Don't worry about keeping things secret or private. Listen, people are going to copy you either way, whether you share it or don't. So I wouldn't hold back being your best self because you're worried about someone being competitive with you. Your parents, the veterinarians, that is so funny and so sweet. Both of my parents are veterinarians. They are very, very smart. They went to Cal Poly Pomona and um, they both love, love, love animals. Growing up, uh, they had their own animal practice and my dad had a horse practice as well where he would work on racehorses. We'd go to the racetrack sometimes. And I remember growing up in my family's um, animal hospital where they were always helping animals and they just have such a huge heart. I really, it's really crazy that we have one chicken after growing up with so many pets. We lived on big lots of land with lots of acres and we had everything from bunnies to guinea pigs and cats and dogs and all sorts of pets. My dad um, raises fish, so he would have always have a big fish room with guppies and different saltwater fish and all these things. So I grew up with so many pets. At some point, we need to get pets. Our just house is really not set up well for pets. And I don't know, I've been so busy raising babies, but my, my parents are such animal lovers and, um, it makes, it makes, it makes my kids animal lovers. It makes me an animal lover, but I don't know. You need to pick up on actually getting a, getting a house pet. Let's call it how to deal with mean moms. One won't acknowledge my existence. It's so weird and rude. This is interesting. And this is one that I think could be an entire topic on its own. But here's the thing. I think that you need to go into the situation with complete confidence and you have to genuinely not let it bother you. And in that way, you win. Like, listen, you have to realize this is her issue, not your issue. Don't go through the whole thing like, what could I, what what did I do? And most of the time, like if you're really being honest with yourself, someone just has an issue. And listen, the best part is you don't have to go home with that issue. She has to go home and, and, and deal with her issues. So for me, I would kill her with kindness. And like genuinely, I would just be kind, like overly kind to where it would be so ridiculous for her to continue ignoring you. Or... I would just be confident and proceed on and just not worry about it. 
The worst thing you can do is let it bother you and talk to other people about it. I'm telling you, talk to someone that's not in the mix. If you have to talk to someone, talk to your sister, talk to your husband, whatever. Don't talk to other moms because that just gets it going, you know? And we want to manifest positive things and you just don't want it getting back or someone tells someone and, you know, people could have good intentions, but all of a sudden it becomes this thing. And that's what you don't want to do because now you're just as bad as her being rude, ignoring you because now you've started something and it's, you know, spreading around and it can just make the whole thing snowball. So for me, either be super overly kind and to where someone I mean, can't keep being the way they're being because you're being so kind that there's no way or ignore it and do your thing. Be confident. Don't be, you know, nervous about it. Just rock your thing, but do not spread gossip and do not talk to other people about it. I'm telling you, no good will come out of it. Marriage, how to keep your relationship alive I love date nights. So my favorite thing when COVID is not happening is to do a Friday night. Now, I love time with my kids. You've probably heard me say on podcasts, if I could take my kids to every single dinner, I know this is not healthy, every single dinner and every single vacation, I absolutely would. I would do, you know, I just would figure it out and still have time with my man. But I know that is not good and that would definitely not work for him. So what I like to do is kind of do a later dinner on Friday and Saturday night. So I still have the whole day with them. I just put them to bed a little bit early or maybe they watch, uh, you know, I put tuck them in with a movie as I leave. So I still have the full day. So I am not don't feel like I'm cutting out two nights of the week. Um, or even I'll put them completely, completely to sleep a little early. So I'll put them to bed at 8 and leave then or at 7.30. I love a Friday night, just the two of you. And then I love a Saturday night out with friends. So you can switch off if you don't share the exact same friend group. One week it's your friends, one week it's his friends or combine the friends. I love that. A Friday recap of the week, just the two of you. And then Saturday out with friends. And listen, this doesn't have to be out. You can do it at home. If you don't have a babysitter, if you want to be more mellow with it, um, if you're going to do that, I would just really like have the kids set, um, nice and tired, take them out, get them nice and tired, feed them early, and then put them to bed so that you can still like have alone time, even if you're not going out on a date. I think the best thing is don't get in the routine of life to where you stop being present and listening to your spouse and feeling like, you know, make them feel special. Give them energy when they walk into the room. If you feel like they're off, ask them what they need more of or need less of. I just think communication is key and not getting into the routine of things so much so that you forget to make it interesting and make it and make it fun. I think that getaways are so important. I love a two-night getaway. Like for me, two nights in Cabo is the best thing ever. Um, I have never done like a long Europe trip away from my kids. I I think there's nothing wrong with it. hundred percent for me, I'd rather go on shorter trips more often. So we run away, go away. We run around, we have fun, we laugh, we, you know, have that one-on-one reconnection time. And then we come home. Like for me, if I do that like three times a year, that's the best. And I feel like it's so great for our marriage and our overall happiness. It's good for the kids to be independent on their own too. I was thinking about doing a podcast on how to travel, Um, without your kids, like how to leave your kids at home and also how to go to dinner without your kids, like just kind of that separation thing, just because I, you know, like a lot of us, I, you know, super have had separation issues in the past. And of course we just worry and want the best for them. So I was thinking about doing a podcast on that. Let me know if that would be interesting. Someone said, I think having Craig on would be a blast. That is so funny you say that because I was trying to convince him last week to do one 
with me and he's like, I'm tired. I'm not in the mood. I don't feel like I would, you know, be good enough or that, you know, it's, it's not really like his jam, but I'm going to make him one time. I'm going to figure out a topic that he cannot resist because he is such a fun person and we're so similar, but we're so different too. And he's such a good dude's dude that he is the best person to ask. Like my girlfriends will call him all the time for advice on dudes, whether it's husband or dating, because he's such a guy's guy and he will tell you honestly what a guy probably thinks or advice on what to do or not do. He's just, I don't know, he's just such a blast and he's so interesting. And I think he gives such a really good, reasonable, reasonable, rational guy's perspective. I think that would be really fun. So I'm going to have to figure out how to make him want to do the podcast with me. How to be awesome at doting on your husband without feeling neglected. How to be awesome at doting on your husband without feeling neglected. So for me, I think that everyone being honest about what they need and what they want is the best. And you know my thing, do one thing for your partner every day that you weren't going to do. So that one thing that pops in your mind, instead of saying, yeah, no, 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 forget it, do that thing. That's really like my best thing for like showing people that you care. It's those little things. So like I'll think, oh, my husband's going to race out the door without without grabbing anything to eat. I'm going to put his favorite like sparkling water and like, you know, a refrigerated perfect foods bar in his car so that he has something to snack on. Um, I'll put, I'll make him a little basket of like salty snacks for his office so that when he's hungry at his desk, he has something to eat. Just thinking of those things ahead of time. Um, and just like little things that would be special and kind of unexpected by doing those things. It makes, you know, it makes him happy. And I think it kind of prompts him to kind of do the same things when he knows I need something and not, not material things. Like Maybe he can tell I've had a super overwhelming week and he'll call me during the day and then he'll come home at four o'clock and come, instead of coming home at 6.30 just because he can tell like I've had an overwhelming week or the kids are being hard or I just need a minute to finish work things. Like just communicating and be honest about what each other needs and do those little things for each other. Do the thing every day that you weren't going to do. It'll come back around to you and I feel like it just strengthens the relationship. Managing emotions after being quarantined at home all day and your hubby comes home. This is so complicated because they're out in the world and you're at home and they've had a day and work is probably more stressing than it was before because the economy is, um, you know, more stressing, I feel like. And for most people, um, working harder to make less money is difficult. But I feel like, again, just trying to be patient and present and be honest, don't freak out about things you can't control, realize that this is a short period of time, and in the big picture, it will be over soon, and asking for help when you need it, if you need a little bit of extra help, rather than maybe putting it all on him, especially if he has an intense day too, rather than saying like, here are all the kids, now you do them, maybe you have like a local high school girl come over to help you two nights a week, and it doesn't even cost you that much, maybe you you know pay her $20 an hour and she just helps you for two hours, clean up after dinner and get the kids bathed, something so the overwhelm doesn't land on him and your relationship. Maybe you have a little bit of a helping hand or kind of figure out whatever your ages of your kids are, that hack to where he doesn't come home and you're resentful at him for being out in the world because you've been home, but also, you know, have him help out or kind of figure out what, what works for you guys. But I think just realizing, listen, None of this is easy on any of us. So giving everyone a little grace and a little patience and communicating is really, really key. 
And overall, kind of to wrap up, relationships with kids and friends and spouses, especially if you're listening to this real time during COVID, can be challenging and the relationships could feel different right now. I think overall, trying to be present and mindful, having a good nighttime routine so that you go to bed feeling calm. You're not like scrolling social media until the last minute before you close your eyes, like stretch, take a warm shower, really decompress. I feel like just giving yourself that time just allows you to, you know, take in everything that happened for the day, process it, process the wins and the failures and think about what you want the next day to be like. And that way you're able to show up for yourself and your family and your friends and your spouse in the way that you want to. You know, life is challenging and life is hard, especially right now. But I think that if we sometimes just take a beat and allow ourselves that good kind of healthy routine, a good morning routine and a good night routine, both of which I will do podcasts on because I believe that that sets your sets the tone for your day and ends your day in the best way and for a good restful sleep. I'm gonna do lots of good content on that, but I think that makes for such awesome days. That was a very full podcast. Thank you so much for sticking with me for this long Q&A podcast. Send me any questions or anything that we touched on that you want to hear more of. My Instagram is at Lindsay's Cloud, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-S Cloud. And I want to do more of these because I feel like we can get through so many topics and really kind of, you know, dig into all the questions that people ask and talk about all different parts of life and making our days more awesome. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast. For more info about today's episode and all past episodes, head over to howtobeawesomeateverything.com where we break it all down. Tell us what you thought of today's topic on Lindsay's Instagram at Lindsay's Cloud. Until next time, go out and be awesome because that's exactly what you are.